preparation for word and sacrament, I invite you to stand and we're going to share together and actually confess together what we believe using the Nicene Creed, which we do on communion Sundays. Let's confess together publicly what we believe. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten and not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate in the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord of Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He shall go the Father's house. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the Lord to come. Amen. So kind of a maybe humorous story after such a serious confession, but uh, I read a story this week online about a, a truck driver who had driven all day and Late into the evening, pulls his rig into this all-night truck stop. He goes in and sits at the counter, and no sooner had the, the waitress brought his food when these three uh, tough-looking bikers walked in the diner and decided they are going to give the truck driver a hard time just for the fun of it. And not only did they verbally uh, abuse him, but one grabbed his hamburger off of his plate, another one took a handful of his french fries, and the third guy picked up his coffee and just... Started drinking. Can you imagine that happening to you sitting in the dining room? Right. Well, the trucker didn't respond how you might have expected. He, he didn't get defensive. He didn't get in the fight. He didn't even say anything. Instead, he just calmly stood up, picked up his check, walked to the cash register with the check and the money, placed it on the counter, and walked out the door. Uh, leaving the waitress and the three bikers to kind of stare at each other in stunned silence. After about a minute or so, Biker broke out laughing. He said to the waitress, well, he, he sure wasn't much of a man, was he? The waitress just shook her head and pointed out the window, and she said, I don't know about that, but he sure isn't much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on the <laughs> I thought that was funny. But, but you know, it, it's the kind of thing that makes a really good scene in an action movie, right? It's the kind of thing that makes an audience laugh and, and cheer because deep, deep down, right at the core, we all want to be that truck driver just once. Yes. We, we want to get our piece of revenge. We want to get that, that twist of the knife at those who have done us wrong, uh, which is an emotion that our Lord really brings out front and center 
in our continuing look today at his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So turn with me in your Bibles. Even though we have it back on the screen again, I, I, I still encourage you to have your own Bible with you, at least for the primary text. I know it was hard last week to keep up with all the other scriptures we referenced, so, uh, but at least for the primary text, we'll be reading Matthew chapter 5, the first two verses, and then skipping down to verse 38. So listen for the voice of the Spirit. So seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and of course, verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Father God, we thank you that in your word is hidden the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so we ask you, Father, uh, just to confirm in our hearts today that this is your truth. Make our minds to receive your wisdom. Send your spirit among us, Lord, and enable us to grasp and to embrace uh, what we're about to hear and do it for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I said in the little opening, I think that the story about the truck driver's Revenge strikes us as so funny because it sounds like our kind of justice, doesn't it? Right? Because when someone wrongs us, our first instinct is to get back at them. Our first instinct is to make them hurt as much as they hurt us. And at least that's the world's answer to being wrong. But Jesus commands a different response from his followers, doesn't he? He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And, and, and please, please make sure that you're paying attention to this, because as in all of Christ's teachings, there's an important balance to be had here. And unfortunately, this is one of the most commonly misinterpreted passages of Scripture. Uh, and because of our tendency for people to take a passage out of its context, uh, this verse has been used to promote the mistaken idea that Christians should be little more than pious formats, uh, along with the whole host of other misconceptions from uh, sanctioning spousal abuse to promoting pacifism to uh, becoming a, a conscientious objector to military service, all, all kinds of other craziness. And so we have to be very careful here because our Lord's point is not to green light the bullies of the world and, and to subject his, his followers to having perpetually slapped cheeks, but rather, as we've seen with the rest of this series, the context of the Sermon on the Mount is the contrast, is the, the juxtaposition between the truly righteous and the merely self-righteous. Because again, Jesus is not giving commandments with, 
which if they were kept would make someone completely sinless, but he's marking out the character of a changed heart. So remember, Jesus is not changing the Old Testament law, but he is emphasizing the spirit of the law that had been lost in the rabbinic tradition. And let me just, just pause here and say, some of you may be thinking, well, you know, I don't have to worry about that, Pastor, because I don't have any enemies. Well, that, that's good. I, I, hope, I hope you don't. But all of us, no matter who you are, have someone with which you butted heads at some point, right? It's just one of those unfortunate things in life that no matter who you are, uh, some people are never, ever going to like you and me, no matter what we do, right? My, my dad used to always tell me, I've heard him say this a hundred times, he used to say, Joe, no matter what you do, some people will swear by you, and some people are going to swear at you. That, that's just a fact of life. And so the question becomes, how are you and I going to respond to people like that? And the answer is to follow our Lord's command from today's reading, whether we feel like it or not. And that was that was a theme of Sunday school this morning. Uh, and I don't think it's really too hard to imagine that this was a, a message as totally foreign to the society of Jesus' day as it is to ours. Because uh, even the religious leaders then were confused by the teachings of Jesus particularly the ones who were connected to the uh, popular political party of the Zealots. They were this kind of first century activist movement who wanted to overthrow the occupying pagan Roman government. And so uh, a lot of rabbis influenced by that teaching were at that time saying, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which on the surface makes a lot of sense, right? I would guess most of us would be pretty good at following that kind of command. But, you know, it doesn't take any godly supernatural power to do that. Uh, because, as Mike, as you were saying earlier, it only appeals to the flesh. And all of us are subject to it. We are subject to that appeal to that draw of the flesh, even if we don't realize it. Russian uh, author and social critic Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a late comer to Christ, said this. He said, if only it were so simple. If only there were some evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessarily only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the dividing line between good and evil is more personal because it cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own life? The Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans 7. He says, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. You see, that's why the idea of revenge still feels so sweet. And we think, if I get back at someone who's wronged me, maybe they'll know not to mess with me next time. But our Lord's message today is that hatred is a horrible tool that when used literally destroys the one who's using it. Because for one thing, just, just on a physical level, hatred destroys us physically. Right? Anger causes your blood pressure to rise and your respiration rate to increase, which causes a strain on your heart and makes you more susceptible to heart attacks and to strokes. It can cause migraine headaches and break down your immune system, cause you to be more susceptible to diseases and hatred can also destroy you emotionally. It's like that old saying goes, hanging on to anger 
And hatred is like drinking poison and then hoping the other person is going to die. <laughs> and of course, worse than the physical manifestations, hatred, brothers and sisters, destroys you physically, or spiritually, rather. Destroys you spiritually. You see, we're told throughout the Bible that the essence of God is love. And if we're harboring hatred in our hearts, then we're living contrary to God's nature and to his command to love each other. And the result of that is a disconnect from God. And it's a disregard for other people. And so Jesus says today, you've heard it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say that you love your enemies. I'll give you just a quick illustration of this that I, I read a while back. I don't know if this is a true story or not, but I hope it is. Uh, devotional little story from a Christian author. It's a story of a Christian lady who owned two prized chickens that got out of their coop and they went through the fence and tore up the neighbor's garden next door. And when the man saw the chickens destroying his vegetable garden, he was furious. And so he, he ran out and grabbed the hens and, and wrung their necks and threw them back over the, the fence where they came from. And now as you can imagine, the lady who owned them was, was quite upset. But the story goes, remembering the words from the Sermon on the Mount, she took those two birds and she dressed them out and she made two chicken pot pies, one of which she delivered to the neighbor that had killed her hands and along with a thank you. And she handed him the pies and she apologized for not being careful and keeping her chickens out of the yard and for destroying his garden. And the author closes the story with these words. He says, the neighbor man stood speechless, unprepared for this unexpected incredible act of grace the simplest thing in the world the chicken pot pie and her sincere apology filling him with such a burning sense of shame for having reacted so harshly that he stood there not knowing what to do that story reminded me of the scripture in Romans 12 20 where Paul wrote therefore if thine enemy hunger feed him if he thirst give him a drink for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head you guys read that verse before? And the idea of those coals has been interpreted in different ways. In fact, uh, just kind of humorously, Pat, this past Thursday I read about a, uh, a pastor who jokingly said he was doing some counseling, some couples counseling with a newly married couple having some struggles in their uh, first year. And in his first session, he asked the wife, have you tried heaping those coals of fire on your husband's head that the Bible talked about? Without missing a beat, she said, no, pastor, but I did briefly consider a skill of hot grease. <laughs> now, I'm pretty sure that's not what the Bible had in mind. Because <laughs> in my opinion, the, the notion I think that best fits the meaning of those burning coals is that hot blush of shame. When someone who we have wronged takes the first step and makes the first effort to reconcile with us. And brothers and sisters, reconciliation is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. And for us personally to imitate in our walk of sanctification, it starts with developing a Christ-like servant's heart. A heart that says, because of what Christ was willing to endure to build a bridge to me, I should be willing to do to build a bridge to those around me, even if it takes me out of my way and out of my comfort zone. And so Jesus says today, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Which was not just a metaphor to Jesus' original audience. It was actually uh, an everyday occurrence and a common practice. Because in all the lands that the Roman Empire had conquered, a Roman soldier could simply grab any citizen they chose and force that person to carry their pack 
or, or anything really for one standard mile. So just, just imagine that you're working in your yard or you're going about your daily business, you're just walking down the street and a soldier grabs you up, thrusts his backpack in your arms and says, carry it. And, and you, you've got to leave whatever you're doing and, and carry that pack for a mile. And don't forget, this is not even one of your own soldiers. You, you know, might be willing to do it for one of your own. We're talking about an enemy. Yeah, guys, this is the equivalent of just, maybe you can imagine, the, let's say the Japanese had prevailed after Pearl Harbor, conquered the United States, and now they're patrolling the streets of Zephyr Hills. And one of these folks grabs you off the street, gives you a pack to carry. And Jesus asked us to do what? He asked us to carry an enemy's pack, willingly, pleasantly, and do it for twice as long as we even have to? Forget it. But, but think about what Jesus is saying here. Because, because in almost a, a humorous kind of way, uh, that soldier, along with the rest of his whole platoon, now in effect are really the ones that are held captive, right? They're, they're captive to the presence of this Christian with the right kind of attitude who can now sing psalms and hymns as he walks along and preach and talk about Jesus for however long it takes to go that first mile and then the second. And, and when I thought about that, I thought, well, one of two things is going to happen. Either this Christian gains a long-term audience, uh, or this group of soldiers may just let him off the hook early to stop, stop having to hear what he's talking about. But you know what? Whichever way it happens, one thing is a guarantee that the gospel die out. And that's all we're responsible for, to get the gospel out. And the rest is up to the Holy Spirit. Now, is any of this easy? No. Do, do we all fall far short of the standard? Yes. So what are we going to do about it? And the answer is, as always, we look to Christ and what he would do. And so just quickly, before we go to the Lord's table by way of application, number one, when Jesus' enemies conspired against him and threatened him and verbally abused him, he endured the abuse without giving any back. That's why 1 Peter 2, 23 says, For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And that's point number two. He looked to God for vindication. That's why Romans 12 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the truth is God's got your back. Trust him. Trust him to be the one who makes things right, even if we don't see it happening. Number three, Jesus continued to love his enemies, even when he didn't feel like it. As Luke 23, 34 tells us, remember while he was on the cross, he prayed for his enemies for mercy and forgiveness. He actually said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Uh, because church, love is a choice, it's not an emotion. Love is a choice, not an emotion. Christ chose love. And you and I can too. We can choose with the help of the Holy Spirit to do good to someone that you really have a hard time even liking. 
And if you try doing it, you may even find your heart changing. And I don't remember who said this, but I love this quote. Uh, someone said, if you want to feel the things that love feels, you have to do the things that love does. If you want to feel the things that love feels, you have to do the things that love does. And that's the final point, number four, which is to overcome evil with good. Which really is the perfect thought with which to approach the sacrament of communion. And so I just want you to imagine, as we go to the Lord's table, this scene in your mind, the, the night of the Last Supper. And our Lord sits as the host of the table. Surrounding him are his circle of so-called closest friends. One who's already betrayed him and was just waiting for the moment to stab him in the back. One who's about to not only deny him, but swear that he never met him. And the rest who are just hours away from deserting him in the hour of his greatest need. And yet he says, earnestly have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And so understanding the thoughts of every person around that table and see, seeing their selfishness and their sinful hearts and their stubborn pride and knowing, knowing exactly what was about to happen. Knowing, as Isaiah said, he was about to give his back to those who strike and his cheeks to those that would pull out the beard. He hid not his face from disgrace and spitting. But he gave his everything, above and beyond anything we could ask or hope to deserve. So that we who have been the enemies of Christ are now invited to come and to dine with him at this table of mercy. At this ultimate transfiguration, really, of bread and, and wine, body and blood, the transformation of sin into forgiveness, despair into hope. And you're invited. Invited not only to the table of the king, but invited to drop your burdens and your cares and your grudges so that you can leave here today in peace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. <laughs> Father God, is truly right in our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, especially in this Holy Supper. Recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ. And asking you, Father, by the joy of his resurrection and an expectation of his coming again, that you unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. So come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this place and in this time that eyes may be opened, that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we Take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name.